A house is made of wood and stone, but only love can make a home. Welcome to the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, helping you make your home into one you'll love even more. Here are your hosts, Dan Hansen and Betsy Thompson. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Betsy. Good morning, Dan. Yeah, I got to tell you, I am a man with no fear. <laughs> Allow me to explain what I'm talking about, because... You've called me a lot of things, but I don't recall ever hearing you call me fearless. Yeah, no, I have never said that. (laughs) All right. So you just answer this question. Should a person with my abilities when it comes to trimming hair, should I have anything to do with cutting my own hair? No. No, you would think not. But I am fearless, Betsy. Uh In the past, I have shaved two of my eyebrows completely off, right? While trying to trim them. Yep. Mm -hmm. I have, I don't know how many times, cut my ear inside my ear, trying to trim ear hair out of my ear. Oh my goodness. With a little razor. Yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. it'll bleed and bleed and bleed and it's a whole right. day thing and I forget that it's doing that and then somebody sees me and they say, oh, "You've got some serious head trauma. What happened? You're bleeding from your ear." <laughs> and I say, "Oh, I trimmed ear hair out and I must have nicked myself with a razor." Oh my goodness. Well, anyway, I could not take my crazy hair anymore. Uh-huh. It looks like yeah. dandelions that have been blown on. <laughs> You know, the little white fuzzy, it's like half of it's there. It's all poofy. So I decided to shave, not shave, but just trim my hair. And you know what? What? Everybody in my house said don't. They all begged me not to. I did Uh it anyway. And there was a loud chorus of cheers when I emerged from the bathroom with a successfully trimmed head. (laughs) That's been my week. I had to brag. Fearless. Uh So yeah, <laughs> you can't top that. I know. Uh, no, I don't. I'm not even going to try. Nope. <laughs> well, if you do decide that you want to try and you do come up with something that can top my haircutting extravaganza, uh-huh. you be sure to speak up. But in lieu of anything that can top my week, <laughs> let's just move on with the show. And this week we're going to be talking with Matt Williams and Jake Harmon from mm-hmm. Sheriff Goslin Roofing about aging roofs. Some things that we can look for that will help us understand what condition our roof is in and how soon we might need to replace it. And also, and perhaps more importantly, some things that we can do to extend the life of it as long as possible. Right. We're also going to hit a topic that I think is very interesting, and we're calling the segment Gods in Color. And it's about Greek Roman statues, Mm -hmm. and it's really worth your time. So that's coming up near the end of the show. We'll also be talking about how to patch holes in your wall. Right. You know, having a home improvement show, you get to have all these exciting topic (laughs) names like patching (laughs) holes in the wall. Well, it's something if it's not done correctly, it can actually lead to some problems. So you want to be sure that you're patching them correctly. Right. And if there's time, I'll give you a few tips on how to trim your hair back. Great. And even the ear hair, if necessary. (laughs) But right now, we want to highlight something that's kind of fun that we're excited to announce. And it's that we're looking to hire. Repcolite needs to fill a number of new positions, several in Grand Rapids and several right in Holland. And we're looking to fill these immediately. Yeah, it'll be helping out in the store, kind of learning the ropes, tinting paint, helping customers choose the right paint for their project and get their supplies and things like that. And the great thing about this job is you don't have to have experience in the paint business. We can teach you 
everything that you need to know. If you're at all interested in color and paint projects and things like that, then this might be the perfect job for you. You can go ahead and submit your resume to info at repcolite.com and we will get it to the necessary parties. Right. A lot of folks right now are concerned about safety in a retail setting and we get that, Mm -hmm. but our stores are taking every single precaution. Right now, we're not even open to foot traffic. That's coming soon. Right. But even when we do, we're going to have measures in place to keep employees and customers safe. Mm -hmm. These are long-term positions that we're hoping to fill here. Mm -hmm. And honestly, as downplayed as careers like this are, it's really got the potential to be really, really rewarding. I mean, you're going to learn a ton of different skills. You're going to be the hit at all of your family parties. I guarantee it. Everybody's <laughs> going to line up to ask you all kinds of paint questions. Right. And really, it's a ton of fun. It's a great place to work. And during this whole lockdown, you know, stay at home, stay safe thing, Repcolite, I've talked to a lot of people and a lot of people are really surprised at how Repcolite stepped up compared to the places they were working. Repolite took care of all of its employees in a way, you know, I could go on and on, but Mm -hmm. they did an amazing job making sure that we all were safe with our work atmosphere, but also with our jobs. It's a great place to work. Right. A family-owned company since 1946. It's definitely something to check into. If you know anybody or you yourself are thinking, that might be a fit for me, again, Email us at info at repcolite.com. And remember, we're trying to fill a number of Holland positions and a number of Grand Rapids positions. Some of them would be in the store. Some of them might even be on the road doing some deliveries as we're trying to branch out into that a little more. Right. So anyway, info at repcolite.com if you've got any interest at all or would like any more information. All right. Enough with that. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to dig into the topic, God's in color. It's going to be fun. It is. That's next. Stay tuned. Helping you turn your house into your dream home. This is the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, presented by Benjamin Moore on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. Well, Betsy, there is something that I really enjoy. And, and from time to time, I, I, I land on one of these things, but I love digging into history stuff. I love digging into current events. I love digging into all of that stuff. And every now and then I've run into things. I can think back on maybe three or four of them where the common understanding, you know, at least my common understanding of how this or that event occurred, mm-hmm. how that is actually incorrect, <laughs> how everything I've been taught is potentially incorrect. Yes. You know, and it's a really... It, it's it, it's a, what do they call that paradigm shifting? Yeah, right. I would say so for sure. Yeah, the idea is that I understood something, I thought it was accepted, and then I realized, wait a minute, there's another side that I hadn't really considered before, mm-hmm. and I ran into one of those things, man, probably about eight or nine years ago, working on the Repcolite webpage. Mm-hmm. You know, I was writing a blog. This was way before you were even around here, <laughs> and. I, yeah, way before Betsy, uh-huh. BB in, right. in the time frame. But anyway, I ran into this idea that apparently all of these Greek and Roman sculptures mm-hmm. that we can all imagine, right? right? Everybody right now, just imagine the Greek and Roman sculptures, you know, everything that you know of. Imagine those. Right. I, I can't tell you what scenes you're imagining or what particular sculptures you're imagining, but I can tell probably with 98% accuracy 
that everybody out there is picturing white marble. Well, that's what we've all been taught. You know, in school, you learned about Greek and Roman statues and you saw pictures in your textbooks and you learned about them in art class and they were always just white marble statues. And the thinking was that, you know, the white marble showed the human form. It got to gut level. You know, there was nothing to distract you. This was humanity at its purest form. I mean, that's that's what was at least drilled into my head. <laughs> that's what we've been taught. Right. But it turns out ever since the late 90s, early 2000s, it's been proven that that's not the case at all. Mm-hmm. These sculptures were actually painted. Yeah. And painted in hideous colors. Well, they were painted in super... They were hideous. <laughs> but art is in the eye of the beholder. Yes. So we don't need to go into that. Back in the day, maybe everybody loved them. But they were painted. That's the yes. point. That's what I want to drill into. So how did we get such a, a, a misunderstanding of how things were? Well, let's go back and talk about that. The whole myth, let's call it, of the white marble mm-hmm. statues basically started during the Renaissance when we first started unearthing some of these ancient statues and digging them up and finding them, discovering them wherever they found them. Of course, time had worn off most of that original paint. Right. So they found them as we kind of think of them. And as the centuries went by, the artists in the 16th century, they saw that bare stone and they began to emulate it. Yeah, people like Michelangelo, of course, they thought that this was the ancient aesthetic and they wanted to copy it. You know, they it's a renaissance, so that's the kind of thing that they did. And so they made their statues and then left them bare. Whether it was marble or bronze, they just left it. Right. And then after the renaissance, the neoclassicism started in the 18th century. And basically the idea mm-hmm. behind neoclassicism was... They wanted new classics of the highest rank. So it ro- arose right. in opposition to the more gaudy Baroque styles of art. And mm-hmm. people started to want art and architecture that mirrored right. the idealized work and standards of the Greeks and Romans. You know, we see even now all of our, well, not all of our, we talked about this a few months ago, but lots of our state buildings, our federal buildings, all reflect this same idea. It's stately. Right. It's you know, mm-hmm. an idealized standard. So right. in the neoclassicism, when that started, that's what they were looking at. And Betsy, I don't remember when we talked about the Grand Tour, but that's kind of what, what started this. Yeah, anyone who has Amazon probably knows that there's a show on Amazon right now called The Grand Tour. Um, completely different than what these grand tours are. But it, it's along the same lines. You know, you do some traveling. It used to be for the younger men. It was kind of a rite of passage. And you just traveled through Europe. And, of course, Rome was one of the huge destinations. You had to get there. You had to see the classics. You know, you had to be inspired and be worldly. So... <laughs> That's kind of where the whole idea came from. Exactly. So they go around, they travel. It's three to five years of traveling, and they see all these Greek and Roman sculptures that are white marble. Right. And it becomes embedded mm-hmm. in our in, in the psyche of everybody. That is what art was. Mm-hmm. And so they embrace that idea. Neoclassicism really takes off. Well, 
the idea continues the, of white marble as the ideal mm-hmm. into the 18th century, where even more sculptures begin to be unearthed. Right. However, because of weathering and all of that, they've lost loads and loads of the paint. But we started to discover evidence that there was color. Now, some of it got removed by well-intentioned archaeologists who were cleaning the pieces off. They right. just brushed it away. Yeah. But here's where it starts to get really interesting. Some of it was just ignored. Yes. And it was ignored because it didn't match our perception mm-hmm. of what beauty was. Right. Johann Winkelmann, which is a tremendously fun name to say. <laughs> you know, you know you're going places when your name uh-huh. Johann Winkelmann. Yes. Of course, he did something that is, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that we can make a judgment call on it, but he's considered by many to be the father of art history. Yeah. He wrote the book on ancient art, let's say. But even though he was aware of the historical evidence for color in these pieces, he downplayed it in his writings. Yeah. And that ends up getting into our understanding of what art was. He basically whitewashed history because he didn't like the idea of color on statues. Right. And other people were writing about some of the things that were being unearthed because there was a really um, great discovery that happened. I can't remember exactly when it was, but they were going through all of the things in Pompeii after, you know, you know about Vesuvius and they found a statue that was painted that they could see the color on still that you know had been very well preserved because of the volcanic ash and things like that and so here's this thing staring at them in the face that says hey (laughs) sculptures were not white they had these beautiful brilliant colors to them but people ignored it (laughs) because it didn't fit with the narrative right Very, very, very interesting. And it shaped how we understand everything. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, let's move ahead into the late 1900s and early 2000s. That's when kind of let's call it the breakthrough happens. Mm -hmm. German archaeologist and professor Vincent Brinkman Mm -hmm. starts using ultraviolet light because in looking at some of these pieces in museums and stuff, he saw visual evidence of color. Right. And so he decided to dig into this a little deeper and using ultraviolet light at a very low angle, basically raking across the piece, he exposed color and pattern that was invisible to the naked eye. Right. The paint served two purposes on these statues. It protected them, but it also decorated them and it made them more lifelike. And for statues that were on great buildings back in the day, if you painted them, you could see them from further away, which was one of the reasons that they were painting them. So that as you came up to a building, you could really see these statues that were there. And they also had some other crazy things. There's one statue that has um, like curls in her hair. And they said that it, they could find the pinholes where the curls actually had been put on there so that they would gently blow in the breeze oh, to really? make it more lifelike. Yeah. So they used the paint and these other techniques to make it more lifelike and real. Very cool. Yeah. But what happened is the paint that's on there like Betsy was saying, it, it's meant to protect. Mm-hmm. That's what paint does. Yeah. It decorates and it protects. Those are its two main functions. Well, when it wore off uh, over time and some of it wore off faster than others, right? right. Certain tones yeah. wore off faster. Certain mixes wore off faster. But the yeah. parts of the pieces that stayed protected longer actually 
look different when viewed under ultraviolet light. You can see Mm -hmm. the dips where some of it weathered a little more and some of it was protected longer. So Brinkman finds all this and realizes that they're not just painted in solid colors. They're painted in all kinds of crazy patterns, too. Yes. And he creates this exhibit that's been traveling the world for quite a while now, right? 10, 15 years? Yeah, since 2003. Yeah. Um, It's called Gods in Color. And there's a website that you have to go and check out. We'll have a link in the show notes. It shows all of these sculptures. And it's also cool because they show the different variations. As technology, you know, has gone forward, we have new ways of looking at these things. And so they're changing you know, what the colors are, what the patterns are, they're adding, they're taking away. And so it's interesting to see, you know, where they started and the different variations that they've come up with as our technology has progressed. Right. We'll put a link to that in the show notes, along with some other stuff that you want to check out. And yes, the modern reaction to these things is usually going to be that that we'll see them as gaudy and garish and over the top. You know, that's just our reaction. But the thing is, it is so important to understand when we think of ancient Rome, when we think of ancient Greece, we all have these images of these pristine white sculptures that are everywhere. Mm -hmm. Expunge that from your mind because that's not what it was. Right. It was crazy. It was color everywhere. (laughs) In fact, I found a great quote that said, Suddenly, a world that we'd been used to regarding as austere and reflective has been turned on its head to become as jolly as a circus. <laughs> it is as true. As jolly as a circus. It is true. That's what the ancient world was like. Right. And anyway, if any of this is new to you and you're having a hard time believing it, here's one last quote to take with you. It's attributed to Helen of Troy, and it's written by Euripides in 412 BC. And here's the quote. If only I could shed my beauty. Well, you know what? It's attributed to Helen of Troy. Betsy, I don't think a dude should be reading this. Take it away. (laughs) All right. So Helen of Troy said, if only I could shed my beauty and assume an uglier aspect, the way you would wipe color off a statue. Wiping color off a statue. Mm -hmm. In Euripides' estimation, that was to make the statue as ugly as possible. Right. Strange to think that we consider the height of beauty unadorned classical statues, whereas the people then figure that if it's not caked over with color, (laughs) it's just not worth it. Right. Bottom line, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And when your daughter-in-law tells you that that green that you're using is so 1970s, (laughs) hey, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Clearly. Do what you want, right? Right. Everything will be in the show notes. You want to check it out. Now. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about aging roofs and what we can do right now to extend the lifetime of the roof we've got. That's all coming up next. Don't go anywhere. If you want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco Light Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. And we're back. And just for the sake of clarity, I want to let you know that this next segment was recorded several weeks ago. So if we say anything in here that's no longer currently happening with the way things are, that's what's going on. Well, Betsy, let's mm-hmm. talk about roofs. 
We haven't done tons with roofs. We haven't. And I think in a lot of our minds, I think we think roofs are going to last forever. Like we know that they eventually wear out or they just are no longer good. But I don't think we really pay attention to that. We just assume that, well, it's on our house and I'll just wait till it starts leaking or something. See, on the other hand, I pay attention all the time because I'm scared to death for when that day comes. (laughs) But a lot of people don't. They just they wait for a disaster. Disaster to happen, and then they go, Oh, huh, yeah. I guess it's time for a new roof. Yeah. And that's the only way that we know. So, today we are in the studio with Matt Williams and Jake Harmon from Sheriff Goslin Roofing. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Now, Matt, you are the Lakeshore manager? Yes. And Jake, you are one of the estimators, correct? Yes, so, you're the guy yeah. who goes out when we have a problem and says, Hey, Guess yep. what? This is how much it's going to cost you for this new roof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have the yeah, unfortunate we do, we do job. <laughs> yeah. And we're the nice guys that nobody wants to see. Yeah. So, why don't we just start with how do we know if our roof is aging? I mean, are there things, surefire signs that we can see that goes, oh, well, we better start saving our pennies because a new roof is in our future? Yeah, um, some of the big ones, the telltale obvious signs, are mm-hmm. the little stones that are actually on the shingle. Okay. There's two times in a roof's life that there are going to be a lot of stones. Initially, when the fir- roof first gets put on, mm-hmm. just so the shingles don't stick together. And then as the roof starts to dry out, the asphalt can't hold on to those stones anymore, and you're also going to find them in your gutter. So if your gutter's getting full of those little pebbles, that's a good sign that your roof's coming up. So, are we talking a lot of pebbles in the gutter, or just some pebbles? When do I panic? Right. (laughs) Okay. Um, Never. When you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, when the bottom of the four-inch gutter is completely covered with pebbles, that's a good time to have a contractor out to take a look at it. Now, it, it might not be. Hey, that's the end all be all of the things but Mm -hmm. that's the time to get it checked out see if there are any other minor issues um, that could be addressed maybe to bring it up for a couple more years until you're ready to go all right so we're looking for granules in the gutter and you said that happens right when it's installed and then the second time is usually nearing the end yes of its lifespan yeah what other things can we be looking for the other side to that is going to be uh if you look up on your roof and you don't have gutters Maybe you don't have gutters oh, and you're yeah. looking and going, hey, when the sun's shining and it's out there, if your roof starts getting real shiny, um, what that does is the granular has come off that roof. Mm-hmm. The sun's hitting that and it's glinting off of the unabated shingles. So it's not holding that sun. It's actually reflecting it off because it's real shiny and you can see the base. That starts telling you, hey, you know what? This roof is worn. It's getting older. And, you know, I should have it looked at. Okay. What right. about a flat roof? Because I used to live in a house that had a shingled part, but then over like the porch area, the enclosed porch, it was a flat roof. Is there any way to tell when that is going bad? Because there were no gutters there for it to... Yeah, there's several different kinds of flat roofing, um, Mm -hmm. and there's a big distinction between what's called low-slope roofing and flat roofing. Okay. Um, Flat is my water's going to sit up there and stay standing for more than 24 hours. Low-slope says there's just a very little bit of slope, Mm -hmm. and what will happen is that water will run off and it won't stand up there for more than 24 hours. Okay. So the difference in material 
obviously says, hey, how do I do this as a sign? If it's a torch down material, mm-hmm. you're going to see spots of that start cracking. You're going to see, okay. you know, kind of the weather has made holes in mm-hmm. it. And if you're dealing with something that is, you know, four to six inches thick, and they go ahead and start seeing those holes, how far down till that hole ends up hitting your core. Right. Gotcha. And then, then it's pooling because mm-hmm. it's staying there. So if you're looking at a low-slope roofing material, um, anything from a flint elastic to mule hide to whatever you might use for the low-slope material, most of them are SBS rubber-infused, you're going to see that same granular loss mm-hmm. that starts going with it. You also might start seeing a little bit of lines. Okay. That are in that as well. Okay. Um, and if you see the little lines or little cracks that are starting to open up, because that material stretches a little bit and holds on a little bit, um, when you run into trouble in the leaks, are when those lines become a full blown crack and the elements can go right through them. That's where you get there. Some people will have another flat roofing style, which is a membrane. Yep. Um, and so if you're looking at an EPDM membrane, that you're going to see a lot of almost looks like little slits, little cuts, little hairline fractures all over. That started drying up. That mm-hmm. material is saying, hey, you know what? I'm, <laughs> I'm put a fork in me. I'm done. <laughs> um, and it'll start a little bit of a seeping process, okay. and it gets a little bit more brittle. And something will be on that. It'll crack it wide open, and then your elements are coming through. So that's oh. those are some signs when you're dealing with flat roofing to keep an eye on. Um, flat roofing can be really, really tricky uh, mm-hmm. simply because it doesn't look like normal roof. Your elements respond different to it, and so it right. weathers differently. All right. Ugh. So cupped shingles, I know that's a bad sign. Yes. yes. <laughs> and that cup shingles were more of a style of shingle yeah. issue. It was a style with the three tab. Now we still the have those, right? There's, or are we just seeing way, way less of we're that? We're seeing way, way less of that. Yeah. Um, I did a repair for a lady here in Holland. Uh, I had to go up to Muskegon to get three tab shingles. Gotcha. So it was just they're few and far between now, uh, especially because the wind rating on those shingles are only 60 miles an hour. And that's an average summer day here. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. When right. I opened the door for you guys, the door about blew. Right. <laughs> so there's a number of things to look for. Are there other things that we should be paying attention to, or are there things that we can actively do to you know increase the lifespan of our roof? Well, the biggest thing for our company is we offer free inspections. A lot of companies do. So if you ever have a concern, question about it, um, give us a call. We'll take a look at it. And Jake wanted to touch a little bit on some of the things we could do for that. Yeah. Um, part of that is, is everybody looks up and it was like you're saying, I'm just, I'm just, I'm waiting for it to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like to liken it a little bit to a car. Everybody knows if you drive your car, you're going to have to put oil in it every three to 5,000 miles. Make sure, depending on the oil that you use. Right. Roofing's no different. You put it up there and it has a lifespan, but it also has a maintenance performance aspect to it that you can do to continue to get the life out of your roof and gain the full value out of your roof. Okay. And what you want to do is make sure that you're doing the maintenance. It's springtime, right? Mm -hmm. It's raining out. Nobody wants to get on their roof. Don't get on your roof when it's raining. (laughs) (laughs) The fall won't hurt you. The sudden stop at the end is a problem. Um, uh, You're looking at things like sealants. Mm -hmm. The reason they use the granular and the stones on the shingles is to abate the sun and give life to the shingle. 
a lot of the sealants around your pipe boots, around your chimneys, around other flashings, those things will dry up because they don't have granular in them. They don't have anything to mm -hmm. abate the sun. So maybe I put a sealant up there. It's good for three to four years sometimes. Sometimes it's a year. Sometimes it's seven. But I want to make sure that I check that sealant and see if it's cracking, if it's pulling away from what it's sealing. Those types of things have said, hey, it's shrinking. It's drying up. If I don't address that, if I don't put a little bead of caulk there, I'm going to have a leak. Okay. Well, by the time then you have a leak, then you have other things that are going as well. So what you want to do is once a year, either spring or fall, whatever, just be on a schedule. Make sure to get it taken care of. Make sure to say either, hey, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to do it if I know how. If I don't know how, give somebody a call. Come up. Do the sealant. What that also does is it doesn't put you in panic mode. It gives mm -hmm. you the, hey, you know what? You're probably five years out, three years out, seven years out, a year out. You know, where's your window for roofing? It's not an exact science simply because I can put a shingle up there and it's dependent upon the weather. Maybe I have a really harsh spring. Maybe I have a lighter spring. Um, maybe the summer's not as hot, so it's not going to dry as fast. All those things come into factor. So instead of going, well, here's a tab. I can calculate all that. I'm sure in four years and two months, I'm going to need a roof. Go up and check it. You know, right. have a look and maintain it like you would your oil in your car, and it'll drive a lot longer. You can drive a car more than 3,000 miles without changing the oil. You're not going to like the results, and it's going to be expensive down right. the road. <laughs> Same thing with the roof. Right. Eventually, you're going to replace that roof, but you don't want to do it before you need to. You want to get the total value out of your roof before you go to replace it. So the big thing is to just set some sort of maintenance schedule where we take time to get up there. You know, every year I do that. I get up there and I chimney sweep. And when I'm there, I check out all the things, you know, that we were talking about. Well, and clean out your gutters. Do it all. I in do all of that. Sweep. I push all the granules down and rinse them away and act like it's clean. Can and I don't have a roof news? problem. We're not being <laughs> talked about that. Uh -huh. All right. If our listeners have any other questions about any of this, want to get you out for a free estimate. Matt, how's the best way to get in touch? Uh, best way would be to call us. Our phone number is 231-798-7783. Gotcha. Website? Uh, SheriffGoslinMuskegon.com. SheriffGoslinMuskegon.com. Yes. yes. Wow. And Sheriff is S-H-E-R-R-I-F-F. Two R's, two F's. Two R's, two F's. Goslin, G-O-S-L-I-N. It's yes. really fun to say. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> All right. Matt and Jake, thanks for being here. Thank hey, you. Hey, thanks for having us, Dan and Bessie. Now, if any of your kids have ever swung a door open too hard and the handle has gone through your drywall and you don't know how to fix that hole, we've got all of the information you're going to need coming up next. Stay tuned. If you want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco Light Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost. Well, Betsy, this is it. Last segment, episode 161, segment four. That's how many segments? Four times 161. What is that? 424? Do you need no. to borrow my toes? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. It's... You just work on that. I'm going to... Oh, I, you know what? That is really embarrassingly stupid. Okay, first off, embarrassingly stupid for two reasons. One, we record the show. So if this is being aired, uh -huh. why? Why? Why would I do that to myself? So if you're hearing this, that's one big question to ask. Why would I even air it in the first place? Secondly, I just got done yelling at, yelling at my children. I got on my soapbox. We played a game. And they needed their calculators 
to do math and figure out their score. And I lectured them ad nauseum about how they needed to learn to do math in their head, to do the ciphering in their brain. Yeah, did you figure out what what the answer is yet? (laughs) No, I'm sure you... I punched it in on your little calculator. No, I'm on my phone. It's a lot of segments. You, so I can't punch it in well, on so my calculator. Well, so It's 644. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> yeah, was getting there. I knew the four was the last one. What are what are we talking about in this last segment now that we just derailed the whole thing? Oh, filling nail holes. Yes. Just like I'm going to be filling the hole that I just created as I go home and try to teach the children. Children, I was faking that. Uh-huh. I faked it so that you would understand how dumb uh-huh. somebody can look when they can't do the math in their head. So work on that <laughs> math in your head. Betsy, help us fill nail holes. Uh, Well, fixing nail holes and cracks really is not super complicated, but I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who have run into an issue sometimes where you fill the hole and then you paint over it and you step back and at an angle you can see like the dip where you didn't quite Mm -hmm. fill it level with the rest of the drywall or perhaps all of a sudden you see a crack going right through the middle of your new repair and you do the you know hand to forehead thing and go oh you have to be kidding me so we're going to help you avoid those things today. <laughs> yeah. The first thing to understand is you've got to have the right products. And there are different spackling products for different types of situations. So which one's right for your application right now? Well, the lightweight spackling compound is going to be for those really small holes or small cracks that you have. Anything that is a quarter of an inch or less is going to be what you want to use the lightweight spackling for. So any of those little holes that you have in your wall from hanging things or little holes in your trim from nails, that kind of thing, this is perfect for it. It'll dry quickly and it's not going to shrink. I would say not at all, but if it does shrink, it's going to be very minimal Mm -hmm. and it's going to give you a nice smooth finish. It's easy to sand, so it's great for these painting projects. We have one, um, it's called Drydex, and it actually goes on pink, and then it dries down to white, so you know when it's dry without having to stick your finger in it and then mess up the nice work that you did. (laughs) Yeah, been there, done that. Uh Don't sand it till it's white. We have another one from Tower Sealants that's just a lightweight spackling. Like Betsy said, dries fast, really nice to Mm -hmm. work with if you've got these smaller holes to fill. If you've got bigger areas to fill, you know, we're talking a quarter inch deep or more to a certain mm-hmm. point, you know, yeah. then you would want to use a heavier compound and a vinyl spackling is basically what you're doing at that point. It's heavier and literally heavier. You pick up the, mm-hmm. the two different oh, types yeah. and you can tell the difference right away. It's a slower dry time. Mm-hmm. It's generally going to take a few hours to dry depending on the humidity, the temperature, the thickness that you apply it. It's going to involve multiple applications. With that lightweight one, sometimes you can get by with just one application of it. In right. fact, I would say if you're doing it the right way, most of the time you can get by with one application of right. it. It doesn't shrink in. This mm-hmm. one, it's probably going to take two because it will shrink in a little bit. So that first one is nice. The second one comes back and finishes it. You've got to right. fill it a quarter inch deep at a time at the most. Mm-hmm. If you overdo that, you're going to have cracking and all kinds of problems down the road. So you've just got to take that one a little slower but it's only for those situations where it's a, a bigger hole to fill or a bigger crack to patch. Right. 
Now, the other things that you're going to need to do this are some good putty knives. And when I say good putty knives, I don't recommend using the plastic ones. I mean, yes, they work in a pinch if you really need to, but so often I have found that they aren't really very smooth on the ends. And so you mm -hmm. end up with like a scrape right through the middle of your patch, which is bad. Or you run over a nail that you didn't get out, you know, you missed it in pulling out all the nails from a wall and suddenly you have a big dent and you have to throw it away. So buy the better putty knives. Those are going to be the like stainless steel bladed ones. Then you can wipe them off and reuse them over and over for years. Um, also, don't forget the sandpaper because you do need to sand these things smooth once you have patched them. That is a step you don't want to skip doing. Right. Now let's actually get to fixing the problem or filling the holes. Small nail holes, super easy. You know, you just fill it. You can apply it. Sometimes you can even get by just applying it with your finger. Yes. Yeah. If you have to scrape over it with a putty knife, like Betsy said, use a good one. Just apply it evenly, scrape it flat and smooth and walk away. Cracks are also quite easy. The big thing that you have to do here is to make sure that you clean out that crack so that the banks on both sides of it, if you think of it that way, are sound. Mm -hmm. They're not starting to crumble away because sometimes we can see that if you try to patch over a crumbling area, it's just going to be a continual problem. So you've got to actually enlarge the crack a little bit to create a good space for the filler. Right. It's the same thing with holes in the wall, like from where a door handle goes through it. You actually have to make that hole bigger and we recommend making it square. So cut a square around that hole and take that extra little piece of drywall out because that's going to make it easier to patch. Then you actually have to fill the opening with a chunk of drywall and you need to create a, a backer support system behind the drywall in order for that new piece to lay level with the rest of the drywall that's already up. So you just put one piece like through the hole and pull it towards you if you can, either with a finger or with a screw in the center, um, and then screw it in place on either side of the hole. It's kind of complicated to explain. There are YouTube videos on how to do it, and we can link to those in the show notes because trying to explain this is not like <laughs> the yeah. easiest thing to do. But <laughs> once you have that backer in, then you can cut a new square of drywall that's exactly the size that you need it to be and put it in place and you have something to hold it in. Right. You use drywall compound at that point mm -hmm. and some paper tape or some mesh tape. So multiple applications of the drywall compound, feathering it out as you go, and then sanding in between each application as it dries. If you work at it, you should get to the point where you don't see it when you catch the light angles. It takes a little practice, but you'll get there. But right. the big thing is understanding that you've got to create that backer. Like Betsy said, we'll put some links in the show notes so you can check out a video if you're not sure what we're talking about. And once you've got everything patched, whether it's the cracks or the holes or whatever, it's ideal to apply one coat of paint over that. A lot of people want to go with a primer. It's really not necessary mm -hmm. unless you've got a ton of patching that you've done. In most cases, for some small patching, just get your finish paint and put one coat over that area first. And then when that's dry, you can apply paint over the whole wall and it should blend right away. Right. And Betsy, something else that's going to blend right away is us. We're going to just fade slowly into the distance and let other people <laughs> take to the radio airwaves. Yes. But before we go, we want to let you know Repco Light is still closed on Saturdays. We're hoping that that's going to change very, very soon. 
But right now, still closed on Saturdays. Remember, all weekend long, you can place your orders online at RepcoLite.com. You can mm-hmm. chat with us till 1 today if you've got paint questions. Right. And make sure that whatever you do today, you have a great one and you make paint a part of it. I'm Dan Hansen. And I'm Betsy Thompson. Remember, if you're about to lose your DIY sanity, we can help you fix that crazy. And we'll help you fix all those little holes and dings in the wall that have been put there by children or others who've had it up to here with lockdown. <laughs> right. Thanks for listening. 